As we start this message this morning, I want to share with you the story about a guy named John. Uh, a few days ago, uh, John made the news as an American missionary for trying to share Christ with one of the most remote, isolated tribes in all of the world. John is 26 years old, and he, was, he works for a mission agency named All, all Nations, which is based out of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he'd served in Iraq, in Kurdistan, as well as in South Africa. But he found his true calling among the North Sentinelese people, which is a remote island off the coast of India, which the Washington Post calls a people who live a Stone Age existence even today. It's the last pre-Neolithic tribe in all the world, still almost entirely untouched by modern civilization. John is a gentle, soft-spoken man committed to sharing the gospel with people that no one else was even interested in trying to reach, in part because everyone who is in the missions field around there knows that if you even as much as try to set foot on the island of North Sentinel, they're usually attacked. John had a very, very much had a heart for them. He was trained in uh, emergency medicine and cultural anthropology. He had his linguistics training from Wycliffe. He even had a scuba diving certification. But the day before he went back to the island, he was going to make another attempt to go back to the island last month, he wrote a letter to his parents, and this is what he said. He said, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. The next day, he hired two fishermen to boat him out to the edge of the island. He jumped out in the water, swam ashore, got up onto the island, and he looked at the people who started gathering on the, on the beach, and he said, My name is John. I love you, and Jesus loves you. And then a kid ran out of the bushes, firing, boat, firing arrows at him, and he escaped, John escaped into the trees. One of the arrows actually pierced through his Bible. The fishermen came back the next day to try to pick John up. And as they did, they saw the North Sentinelese dragging John's dead body across the beach and burying him there. One of John's friends told the Washington Post a few days ago, he knew the dangers of this place. He didn't want any hearts to get broken should something go wrong. He was very much aware of what he was doing. One family member said he loved God, life, helping those in need, and had nothing but love for the Sentinelese people. The head of all nations who was over, over the agency where John worked said this about John. She said, John is gracious and a sensitive ambassador of Jesus Christ who wanted others to know God's great love for them. Since John's death on the 17th, reactions to his calling and his decisions that day have co completely run the gamut. Uh, some have seen John's venture as naive and a total waste of time. They've called his trip ill-timed and totally irresponsible and said John must have lost his mind. One of John's friends told the Post, He lost his mind definitely, but you have to lose your mind a bit, otherwise you wouldn't do it. Others agreed with the stance that All Nations has taken about this as they have pointed to similarities between John's life and that of Jim Elliott who died doing something very similar back in the 1950s as he tried to reach out to the primitive Wadani people of Ecuador and was killed doing so. After Jim was killed, people continued to go to the Wadani people sharing Christ's love with them and eventually many of them came to know Jesus. 
Some have even said, uh, as Tertullian did in the days of the early church, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the church to take root, and that someone has to love people who are different than them enough to be able to take a risk and even perhaps lay down their lives for others. Was John really irresponsible a few days ago when he swam onto that island knowing who they were? Even though he had this tremendous heart for loving them? Or was he simply being obedient to the will of God and the the heart of God for these people who did not know Christ? Today we're continuing this series of messages called God Came Near. And what we're learning through this series is that throughout the storyline of the Bible, God has been God has been sharing with his people for centuries how much he loves them. And how he's even willing to go at times to great lengths and even appear irresponsible to his people out of his crazy love for you and I and for humanity. As we look at the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament and even that of Hosea in particular, we see that God asks things sometimes of Hosea that we would, you and I, we would never want to consider. But God was motivated by love. If you missed the, the prior weeks of this series, you can go home this afternoon and listen to those at gracetucson.org. But let me just kind of catch you up real quickly on where we've been so far in this story. We started this story uh, a couple weeks ago in the very first lines of the Bible. And we saw that thousands of years ago, God had this crazy idea. He was creating the world as we see it today in all of its beauty and its majesty. He was creating life, and he was always somewhat satisfied. And he decided in that moment, he tells us in Scripture, that he wanted a people who could not only have the intelligence to be able to receive his love, but to be able to offer it back to him in return. And so God took this huge, crazy risk where he created us, he gave us intelligence, he made us the objects of his love, and he gave us that choice to reject him if we desired. And as we saw in the story of Adam and Eve, quickly they made that decision to say no to God. And as a result, sin entered into the world. Over and over again through the book of Genesis, we see God pouring out his heart to people, chasing after them in love, and God's people in the world saying, no, no, I'm not interested. And then as we continue the story, we saw in Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy how God decided... Maybe they just don't understand how to live up to my expectations. And if they knew my law, if they knew how I had created them, if they knew how much I loved them and how I wanted them to flourish here on this earth, surely they would follow my law. And so we see throughout the books of the Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God pouring out his heart, sharing his law, sharing his expectations with humanity and saying, if you'll do these things, I promise you, you will flourish on this earth. God wasn't giving us these laws to condemn us or to make us feel bad about ourselves. He was saying, I want to give these to you because I want you to know how you can enjoy this life and flourish on earth. And so God provides us the law in the Old Testament. And then once again, we as humanity said, no. No, thank you. As the story progresses, we see through a time of judges and a time of kings... Over and over again, people were rejecting God. Even God had selected a few people and said, I'm going to pour out my love on you, and they rejected him. And then we start to see as we get into the books of the prophets, which start in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and runs all the way through the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, these prophets are rising up, and they're all giving God's people the same message over and over again. They're saying, 
They're speaking for God and saying, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God wants you to trust him and to receive his love and to give it back to him in return. Please stop saying no to God. And God's people continued to say no over and over again. And God decided, as we see in the books of the prophets, God at some point decided, maybe I don't just need to tell them how much I love them and that, and that I need them to follow me. Maybe if I show them, maybe if I display it to them, maybe if I use the prophets to show them my heart, then they'll understand. And so God raises up a man by the name of Hosea. I want to encourage you this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hosea, if you can find it. It's toward the back of the Old Testament, near the middle of your Bibles. Or you can just go on your smartphones to mygrace.church and click on the sermon notes tab there. You can jump right into the scriptures there if you would like. What we're going to see today is how God chases and even chastens us as he pours out his heart and tries to turn our hearts toward him. I want to start in the very opening lines of the book of Hosea. This is what it says. Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. And Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Hosea is actually one of the oldest of all the prophetic books in the Old Testament. In fact, there's only one or maybe two of these prophetic books that are older than the book of Hosea. We know that Joel is older and perhaps Amos is as well. By this time, by the time that God is coming to Hosea and saying, I want to use you to speak to my people, they're just a couple of decades away from having the Babylonians come in and just completely obliterate Israel and to haul them, and haul them off into slavery in Babylon. God is just pulling out all the stops, just trying his very, very best to help them to see how much he loves them and trying to get them to turn their hearts back to him. And over and over again, God's people are saying, no, not interested don't care to. No thanks. Life is good. Everyone's prospering. Why would they even need God? So God decides, I'm going to take this another step. And so he says to Hosea, Hosea, I have a job for you to do. I don't want you to just tell them how much I love them. I want you to illustrate it to them. I want you to go find a prostitute and I want you to marry her. How many of you would sign up for that job? Any of you interested? Any takers? God taps you on the shoulder. Any of you willing to do, do that for him? That's the extent to which Hosea would go because he knew how much God loved his people and he loved God and wanted to follow him. God wanted to go so far beyond what he had done even before to help them to understand how he felt. Look at what uh, happens as we continue reading this story in verse 3. It says, So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. 
Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Wow. It seems like God's finally giving up. It seems like God has had it with this grand experiment that he's been trying uh, to accomplish for centuries now to no success. Now, the text is clear, or the text isn't very clear if all these children I just talked about in chapter 1 were Hosea's or not. We do know from chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that Gomer was bearing children through her prostitution during this time. Um, and so maybe some of these were children of prostitution. Maybe they were all Hosea's. We don't know. But what we do know is that God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to name these children instead of Gomer. And so Hosea names one of those children not loved and another not mine. Now imagine that. Imagine being a kid, being raised, and your name is not loved. Imagine going to school. Hey, my name's Samuel. What's your name? Not loved. Why would your parents call you that? Right? God's using all of this to teach his people that he can't keep showing love to them in this state. Something has to change. Now, Gomer runs off at some point. She goes back into prostitution, the story of Hosea says. And somehow, in the midst of that, she gets trapped into this lifestyle. She can't get out. Just like Gomer suffers for her decision, God says that the people of Israel will suffer for their decisions to continue to reject him over and over again. God chases, and at times he also chastens those that he loves. Now, you and I, I guess I could speak for you. I can certainly speak for myself. We don't like chastening, do we? It isn't pleasant. But the word chasten actually means to restrain or moderate the effect of something. Many of us who have been parents, we know what that's like, right? We know when we have a child who is just determined to not follow the wishes that we have set, we, the things that we know are for their flourishing, and they follow the wrong path. And there are times when as responsible parents, we make decisions to discipline, to chasten, not to punish and to make our kids feel bad or to hurt them, but to redirect them into the right path, right? And this is the point God's at with his people. So God says to Hosea, Hosea, you know what? Just go ahead and divorce Gomer. Just as I am going to divorce myself from my people for their unfaithfulness. You know, no one ever goes into marriage thinking about how they're going to get divorced, right? None of us on our wedding day was thinking about, oh, one of these days I'm going to get divorced. And I'm going to suffer through all this pain, right? Yet, Half the marriages today in this country end in divorce. 
But think about this. God gets into a relationship with you and me, and 100% of the time, we are unfaithful to him. Yet God chooses to love us anyway. Hosea gets divorced, and he's probably thinking, whew, I'm glad I'm out of that mess, right? Now I can at least move on with my life. Now I can kind of focus on other things. I've done what God asked me to do. So glad that's over with, God. Thank you for letting me get that divorce. I don't know why you want me to get into that in the first place. But we can just call it done. And shortly after that, God says, ah, not so fast, Hosea. God uses Hosea to tell his people, after I leave you, you're going to realize what, you're, what you've done, and you're going to want to come back to me. And God's message through Hosea is this. In those days when you turn your hearts back to me, I will speak tenderly to you. I will show you unfailing love, and I will make you my bride again. So God then looks at Hosea and says, okay, dude, I know I told you to divorce her. Now I want you to remarry her. Now I want you to go find her. She's trapped in prostitution. She can't get out. You're going to go buy her back and remarry her. It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? Now through the rest of Hosea, God tells his people to not reject him any further. God says, Please don't follow this path. See the example I've shown you through Hosea and Gomer. Please turn from this path. And God's people said no. And so a couple of decades later, the Babylonians come. They destroy Israel. They destroy Jerusalem. They haul God's people off into slavery, bondage in Babylon. Just as Gomer had experienced, so the people of Israel experienced what we see as can, we continue to read through the story of the Old Testament is that there comes a time when, sure enough, God's, people br- turn, God's people's hearts turn and they decide, you know what, we, what have we done? We've put ourselves into this mess. If we just turn our hearts back to God, God told us through Hosea that he would accept us back again. So let's do that. And in those days, God reaches out to them, shows them, them his love, rescues them, from Babylon or Assyria at that time, they go back to their land, and what do you think they do? They say, God, thank you for doing this. We'll never turn from you again, right? Very shortly after, their hearts are hardened again, and they say, God, no thanks. Not interested. In the end of the Old Testament, in the books of Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, we see God going through this same thing again. God's pouring out his heart to his people saying, please, please don't do this. Please accept my love. Let me show you how much I love you. Receive my love. God's people said, no, no thanks. And then, all of a sudden, God goes silent. For 400 years, God stops talking. For 400 years, God stops pursuing. God stops chasing. God stops pleading with them to turn. It seems like God had just given up at that point. What happened? Had God finally given up? Had God finally said, you know what? This whole idea was crazy to begin with. I don't know why I did it. I just need to be done with this whole thing. Or did God still have a Hail Mary to throw? A final attempt to somehow capture what he had always wanted. Well, the God of the universe 
had the craziest of ideas. After 400 years, he appeals to a young teenage girl to help bring the answer to this age-old problem. And it would be the final answer. And it would be the answer that God had planned all along. You see, sometimes people look at the story of the Old Testament and they think, wow, God just did everything he could, but he had this plan in the garden and we screwed that up and so then he had a plan B and that didn't work so he's kind of scratched his head and came up with a plan C and a plan D and a plan E and he just kind of ran out of plans but what we find when we read this love letter from beginning to end was that God wasn't stumped in fact God knew we were going to do this all along before Adam and Eve were even created God knew how we would choose to reject them and he full with full knowledge entered into this Anyway, and he had the plan to save us all along, even before Adam and Eve took their very first breath. What was that answer? The big final answer to this age-old problem? We will have to come back next week and find out. (laughs) But I'll give you a hint. Throughout the centuries, as God was speaking through the prophets... And he was sharing with them, please turn your hearts back to me. God was dropping hints for the ultimate plan within the prophetic writings. In Hosea, for instance. Hosea, in the midst of sharing God's heart, he says, A king will be coming from the line of David who God's people will devote themselves to, not as a king, but as a lord. In Isaiah, we see as God's pouring out his heart to his people through Isaiah, telling them to turn. We also see hint after hint after hint of what God has planned. We see that God says through Isaiah that he will raise up someone who will be a banner of salvation once and for all. Someone who will come to earth as a virgin gives birth. One who will come to live like us, but also who will come to be with us. Isaiah says this person will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Still today, the God of the universe, the God who created all of this, is constantly focused on loving you and me. And he won't give up. We don't know the end of the Hosea and Gomer story. We don't know how that thing, that, that, that relationship ultimately plays out. We don't know if... Hosea reached out to Gomer and she came home and she finally settled down and accepted his love and shared that love back with him or if she just rejected him outright. We don't know if Hosea finally just had it with her and said, you know what, I'm done with this woman. I'm going on my own way. But what we do know is that nothing can separate us from God's love. Romans chapter 8 tells us as much. God, God tells us in his word uh, through, through Paul, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, fear for today or worries for tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate you from God's love. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from Christ's love. God will continue to pursue you every single day that you draw breath on this planet. The question is, will you receive it or will you reject it? Will you gladly receive this love that God is pouring out on you or will you choose to say, as so many long before you have said, no. No thanks, God. 
not interested. Got everything's fine. I got it all figured out myself. Don't really need you. Will you choose to trust God, to trust his law, trust his expectations for your life because he created you and he knows you far better than you will ever know yourself? Or will you choose to reject that law and say, I've got a better plan? God's heart this morning, I hope you hear it. I hope you hear it through this series. God's love is relentless. It does not stop. God never created us to condemn us. He has done everything possible to reach out to us and pour out his love over and over and over again. Many of you have experienced that love yourselves. And for those of you who haven't, I want to encourage you this morning. All you simply need to do is to trust to say, God, I don't fully understand it all. I don't have all this religion stuff figured out. Really, honestly, God doesn't care if you figure out all this religion stuff. He just wants a relationship with you. That's all he's ever wanted. And God is saying, trust me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just come to you today, and we are so grateful that you have shown us this love. We thank you that as we read the story of Scripture from beginning to end, we see how this love letter plays itself out for us. We also see, God, from it how many times we as humans have said no. We have thrown it back at you. We have shot those arrows back at you and said, God, not interested. Go away. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for not going silent. Thank you for not just throwing your hands up and starting over. God, I pray for each person in this room who is struggling, who is needing you to draw near in some aspect of their lives. And God, I pray that they would find you this week. They would find you in this Christmas season. They would know your plan, even if it doesn't fully make sense. God, I pray that each person in this room and each person listening online would come to know and experience your love firsthand. Because we know you're giving it, it's just that sometimes we're not in a place to receive it. God, do whatever it takes to get us to that place where we surrender not just part of ourselves, but all of ourselves. If you're here today and you're in a place where you feel like God is tucking you in your heart and he's asking you to take a step closer to him, he's asking you to trust him, to surrender, to, to say yes to him, I want to encourage you to not silence that voice don't throw up your hands again and say no i want to encourage you to say yes to trust him and allow god to have open entrance into your life in a beautiful way i want to encourage you to, in the silence of your own heart to pray this prayer with me heavenly father thank you for bringing me here today thank you for helping me to see the next part of this story this love letter that pastor dave has been sharing with us God, thank you for loving me even when I didn't love you back. God, I'm in a place where I feel like I can love you. I'm in a place where I feel like I can say yes instead of no. God, I ask that you would come into my heart even now. That you would forgive me for all those times, all those ways I have disappointed you. I've gone against your law, your expectations for my life. God, I 
ask that you would forgive me of all those things and put those things as far away from you and I as the east is from the west as you tell me in scripture and that you would remember them even no more God I ask that you would come into my life and fill me with your spirit as I confess that you are my savior and my God you are Emmanuel and I want you to be with me for the rest of my life Make me, Lord, into the man or woman of God that you've always intended me to be. God, let's do this journey, this adventure of life, what's left of it together, not apart. In Jesus' name, amen.